Today, we're going to talk about drawing near to God. And I believe it's, it's probably, again, one of the most basic, fundamental, most important parts of our Christianity, our walk with God, and that is drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. If I had to ask you, are you close to God? How would you answer? Many would say, absolutely, I'm close to God. Many would think they are close to God. Many would absolutely believe they are close to God. But how do we know that we really are? That's the question. Am I going to measure my nearness to God, my closeness to God with what? My emotions, my feelings, the results in my life, pragmatism. How do I know that I'm close to God? How many of you would like to know that? Quickly, by a show of hands. Nobody? Two, three. Okay, everybody. Good. Some may, may actually be close to God, while others may only think that they are, or feel that they are, or believe that they are. But what does the Bible say about drawing near to God and being close to God? Because I have to just un underline this. Today we have this idea that people have their own truth, right? Well, that idea is based and rooted in this concept right here. Follow me for a moment. There are, there are two truths people hold on to today. There's a subjective truth and then there's an objective truth. There's a subjective truth and there's an objective truth. The subjective truth is the one, is the truth that is true to you because that's how you feel. Something is true to you because that's what you have experienced in your past. It is true to you because that's your opinion. It is true to you because that's what other people have told you and you trust them. It is true to you because of who you are. It's subje subject to you. It's a subjective truth. That's where people come with the idea that, well, it's, it's their truth. That's how they feel. That's how they believe. That's how they were raised. That's why it's true to them. It's a subjective truth. But then there's a, such a thing as an object of truth, which is the truth that doesn't come from within you. It's a truth that comes to you from scriptures. It's an object of truth. It doesn't change as I change. It's there eternally, universally, and it cannot be altered. That's subjective. So we have to go to the scriptures in order to find the subjective truth in regards to Christianity, instead of coming up with our own, excuse me, we have to go to the Word of God to find the objective truth about Christianity, the objective truth about Christianity, instead of creating a Christianity from our subjective truth. Well, I feel that God is close to me because I just, I just know it. I just know it. How do you know it? Well, I was walking through the forest the other day, and a little squirrel ran across. And I thought I heard, the Lord loves you. You know, I don't know. People come up with strange things. Uh, they, they just really come up with, with very, very strange things. I remember us having a Wednesday night Bible class. And we asked the question, could you guys get into little groups and discuss, how do you know you're saved? What is um, your proof of salvation? Okay. And then come and share with us what you guys discovered. Well, I, I remember one of the answers was this. I kid you not. I'm not exaggerating. There's the wife that never lies, okay? 
<laughs> at least not to me. How do you look? Jeez. What do you mean, how do you look? Change. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I always ask her, what do you think? Um, this one lady says, well, I know I'm saved because one day I was sitting in a park and I said to the Lord, Lord, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know it? And for whatever reason, to mind comes a picture of a coin. What, what was it? It was a penny, thank you. To my mind comes a picture of a penny. And I went, why am I thinking of a penny right now? And as I got up to walk away, right there in front of me, on the ground, lay a penny. I'm like, Jesus, thank you. I know I'm saved. That is proof that I'm saved. But when, when I heard that example, I thought, my gosh, we have to discuss this idea of subjective truth, you know. <laughs> my experience told me I'm saved. My feelings tell me I'm saved. My opinion tells me I'm saved. And that's why when you come to somebody, you give them the scriptures where the apostle Paul said, hey, listen, go and test yourself to see if in fact you're in the faith. Go and test yourself to see if in fact you are saved. People go like, what do you say? Are you saying I'm not saved? You know, well, I don't know. That's what Paul told us to do, okay? Well, I got saved in 1971. Okay, Paul said, go test yourself to see if you're in fact saved. And the way to test yourself is not to go inward, subjective. It's to go outward, objective. Let's look at what the Word of God says. The Word of God is effective. It is sufficient. So, what does the Bible say about drawing near to God? First, we need to understand that all of Christianity points to one ultimate goal. One ultimate goal. All of what God has always done is in order to reconcile man back to Him. That's the whole plan of salvation. Is to reconcile man back to Him. The Father. You see, sin, which we don't think we are sinners, which is your first sin, because John says, if anyone says he's without sin, he is what? A liar. If anyone says he's without sin, he's a? A liar. Yeah, everybody sins. We are born with sin. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sinned. You sin because you're a sinner. Not everything that barks is a dog. But dogs bark, right? Their nature causes them to do something. In the same way, a sinful nature, a sinful nature causes a person to sin. And so, sin was the very thing that broke our relationship with the Father. God is perfectly holy and cannot compromise Himself in order to remain compatible with sinful man. Let me say that again. God is perfectly holy and He cannot compromise who He is his integrity cannot be compromised by making himself compatible with unholy sinful man. So God came up with a solution, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel is what allows us to come back to God. And John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am what? The way. The truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. There are two things in that verse important for us to know. There is a way and there is a what? A destination. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to Him, comes to Him, arrives at His place or with Him in His arms, in His heart. No one comes to the Father except this way. So there's a way and there's a destination. Jesus is the way. The Father is the destination. 
If Jesus is the way, therefore the Father, the destination that we need to arrive at, that means that Jesus is through whom we can draw near to God. Jesus is through whom we can draw near to God. This is clearly explained in Hebrews 7, 17, and 19. It says, For it is written of Him, Jesus, For it is written of Him, Jesus, You are a priest forever, Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. It's talking about the law. It says that in verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect. In other words, on the one hand, you have the law. It's weak and it's useless to change anybody. But on the other hand, a better hope in Jesus is introduced through which we draw near to God. You cannot draw near to God through the Old Testament. The Old Testament only shows you that you need to have a Savior to be able to get to God. But Jesus is the one who allows us to draw near to God. So the conclusion is number one, Closeness to God is not measured by your morality. Moralism is a deviation of Christianity. You aren't a Christian because you're moral. I can't be moral in order to achieve right standing with God. So closeness to God is not measured by your morality, but by your faith in Christ's ability. Christ is able... Christ is able to save you to the point where you are now able to be right with God, where God can once again be compatible with man as He is. Secondly, how do we measure our closeness to God? I just, first, let me just say this. Uh, somebody said the other day, well, you know, God, why, is, why does it seem like the God of the Bible is a little bit narcissistic. I mean, look at him. He shows up on the scene and he goes, I am the way, <laughs> the truth and all. No one can come to the, to the Father but through me. And then you have God. And God says, you will serve no other gods but me. You know. And then live for my glory. And people sometimes have the wrong idea that Jesus attempted to be or said that he was so exclusive. There was nobody else but him. If you think through that, you'll realize it has nothing to do with God wanting to be the greatest because he's not trying. He doesn't want to be the greatest. He is the greatest. Jesus doesn't, it's not that he demands to be the only way. It's because he is the only way. You see, if I had to die on the cross for sin, I couldn't die for your sin because I would first have to die for my own. And Jesus is the only spotless, perfect Lamb of God that qualified to die for somebody else. That's why He's the only way. That's why there is none other. And Christianity is exclusive and distinct in this way, that it is the absolute only religion that, that humbles you in its plan of salvation instead of puffing you up. All other religions 
demands for you to be great enough in order to be accepted by God. Christianity says, since you could never do that because God is so great, He will take care of it, and that humbles you. So you aren't, you aren't puffed up in your salvation. You are actually humbled by it. And here is Jesus, the only way, because He's the only perfect one that could stand in your stead and die not for Himself, but for you exclusively. So number two, how do we measure, how do we measure our closeness to God? Closeness to God is not measured in distance, but in knowledge. Tina, could you take that, please? Thanks. Closeness to God is not measured in distance, but in knowledge. Follow me in this quick. The more knowledge you have of a person, the closer you are to that person. The more knowledge you have of a person, the closer you are to that person. Isn't that true? The better you know God, the closer you are to Him. Same thing. To deliberately increase your knowledge of God is to deliberately draw closer to God. Tina and I uh, got married 14, 15 years ago. And, you know, when you, when you get married, you think, well, okay, got it. Just checking. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, uh, so we, we <laughs> hey, you know, this one thing I've learned. It's like when you don't know what to say, say nothing. Otherwise, you just dig a deeper hole all the time. Sixteen years ago, we got married. And when you get married to somebody, you think, wow, man, I, I just really, this, we, I just know her so well. I love her for who she is, and she loves me for who I am. And then 16, 15, 16 years later, you go, I thought I knew that person, you know. But now, you, you really get to know them so much more. That's why you can grow in love with somebody that, that, that you've been married to for a long time. You see, God never told you to marry the person you love. He told you to learn to love the person you married to. Because He knows that your ability to love somebody is based and rooted in the fact that you have to have more knowledge of that person in order to love them more. It's so, it's so clear to us when we put it in a different context. Like, for instance, I've heard people say often, you know, this, this person and I, we're we just we such good friends. Man, we, we're, we're so close because we know each other so well. See, you cannot love outside of knowledge. If I had to say to you, Dave, I'd like for you to love this person called Jack. You're like, okay, who is he? Like, I actually don't know him. All right, then. How can I love him? No, you've got to love everybody in the world. Just love, love Jack. Well, where does he live? Mm, I don't know. What do you know about him? Nothing. Does he exist? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if he does exist, Dave. But I'm going to ask you to love him. You see, this is an impossible thing to do. You cannot love somebody you don't even know anything about or know that he even exists. You see, love hangs on the knowledge of something. You cannot love outside of knowledge. So in order to love somebody more, you have to get to know them better. In the same way, people go like, yeah, I've got to love God more. I've got to love God more. If I had to ask right now, show, hands up, everybody that needs to love God more, put your hands up. Every hand should be up and will be up, especially those who refuse. I will never raise my hand. Your hand's up too, right? <laughs> no, you know you have to love God more. There's all, and, and the way to love Him more is to draw closer to Him and the way to grow, draw, draw closer to Him is to know more of Him. Love requires knowledge. Closeness requires knowledge. So the person who studies God's Word on purpose. 
and, gra and grasps his attributes on purpose, his character and his ways on purpose, is the person who is close to God. Yesterday, I learned something about God in scriptures in regards to his aseity. That means he's the uncreated creator. He existed. He we don't have the concept of something can exist without first being created. You see, that's a human mind a limitation. We can't, we can't imagine something existed without first being created. But God's aseity, the Bible teaches, is that he is life and he gives life. He is the fountain called life. And nothing has ever been created outside of him creating it. He is the uncreated creator, the Assyria of God. I learned something about his, about his eternality, about the fact that not only is he eternal in the future sense, but he's eternal in the past sense. He is from eternity to eternity. This is our God. And every time I learn something about the character, about the attributes of God, I know more about God. I'm closer to God. Because you cannot be close to somebody you have no knowledge of. We draw nearer to God through knowledge of God. And the knowledge that you get from God ought never to be subjective. Never. That is, that is how paganism and false worship originates, is a subjective knowledge of a God you start serving. And that subjective truth that you have of the God you now serve, if you can't find it in scriptures, you are serving or worshiping a fraud an idol of your own imagination. And that's why in, throughout Christianity, you see that church leaders always made war against these false concepts of God people consistently erected within their hearts and minds. So number two, closeness to God is not measured in distance but in knowledge. Number three, Closeness to God is not measured in passion, but in repentance. It's not measured in passion, but it's in repentance. Having been a youth pastor for most of my life, uh, I can tell you that one of the things you see, especially in youth groups a lot, is that uh, people would point to the most passionate person in the room and say, wow, they're so close to God. They're so passionate about the Lord. Well, that's not a measurement of being close to God. Repentance is the measurement of being close to God instead. Look at Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is near to who? The Lord is near to who? The brokenhearted. And He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Same thing. A crushed spirit and a broken heart. Same thing. See, God is near to the brokenhearted. Not necessarily to the passionate. Who are the brokenhearted. It's not the person who have lost a loved one. That's not the brokenhearted. It's not the guy whose girlfriend just left him. That's not the brokenhearted that this verse is talking about. It is the person whose heart is broken and crushed over the loss of their own innocence due to sin. The one mourning his sin is the one with a broken and contrite heart. If you are before God going, God, Please forgive me. 
I feel so absolutely rotten, God. If you're weeping before God over your own sin, you're brokenhearted. If you are planning your next moment of sin, you are not brokenhearted. No matter how many boyfriends leave you and you cry over, that has got nothing to do with brokenheartedness. It's the one who mourns their sin before God. Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew 5 verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What's he talking about right there is exactly the same thing. Blessed are those who mourn the loss of innocence, who mourn their sin that they have against God, just like King David did. When the, when the prophet came to King David and he said, King David, you have sinned against God. David fell to his knees and he started praying. He says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. And he went into mourning. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Closeness to God is not measured in passion. It's measured in repentance. You see, if I had to come to um, somebody, and let's say, for instance, I'll make it a little bit more real. Let's say, for instance, I am disrespectful to Steve. We have a close relationship, but I just become real disrespectful to him. And then I lie to him and I gossip. I slander him. Immediately, something happened between Steve and I. Suddenly, Steve, now, when he sits at an opposite side of the table, sits this way. He becomes more shielded. He becomes distant. He becomes hardened toward me because of my transgression of him, right? Well, how can that distance and that coldness that now has been formed, how can that be removed? By me coming to him and saying, Steve, this is what I did. This is what I did. I am wrong. I need to fix this. And I can only fix it by starting off first admitting that I was wrong, admitting what I did, and now asking you, please, would you forgive me? And humility is the only possible way of anybody to, is the only possible way anybody could ever do that. That is asking, for, asking forgiveness. Now, the Bible says that that relationship might end up being stronger than it was prior to that offense, right? So repentance is, is, is God's way of allowing people to, be, to draw near to one another again, to remove the coldness, the distance, and the hardness that has been established between two people. Now, in marriage, this is more true than anything else. And if people can learn to walk in repentance with one another, they can once again be close, draw near. But the exact same principle is true between you and God. James 4 verse 8 says this, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Then it explains how to draw near to God. It says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart. Your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, cleanse your hands of the sinful things you do. And purify your hearts, meaning the motive, the reason why you do these sinful things before God. 
Draw near to God. How? By doing this, cleansing your hands and purifying your motives before God. There's another great example of the same truth. And that is Luke 10, uh, Luke 18, verse 10 and 14. This is going to mean so much to you, so please make sure you, you keep your thinking caps on. But here Jesus tells the story. And he says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was proud and self-righteous. He was a Pharisee. And the other one, a cheating tax collector. The proud Pharisee prayed this prayer. Thank God I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially not like this sinful tax collector over here. For I never cheat. I don't commit adultery. I'm moral. Look at me. I go without food twice a week. In other words, I fast twice a week. And I give to God a tenth of everything I earn. Jesus says, but the tax collector, the corrupt tax collector, stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. He knew he was guilty. Um, but beat upon his own chest in what? Sorrow. Broken hearted. Beat upon his chest in sorrow exclaiming, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I repent, in other words. Have mercy upon me, I tell you, Jesus says, that sinner, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home forgiven. For the proud shall be humbled, but the humble shall be honored. So our conclusion here is we draw nearer to God. How? Not through moralism, but through repentance. Not through passion, but through repentance. Not through pride, but through humility. And finally, number four, closeness to God is not measured in vicinity or in distance, but in privacy and exclusivity. This is drawing close to God. Hmm. Drawing close to God. Imagine my son learns everything about me everything about me and he knows everything about me from beginning to end but he learns everything from about me from somebody else is he close to me no now compare it to the scenario where my son learns everything about me total transparency but from me personally, exclusively, privately. You see, that's a complete different picture, right? He has the same amount of knowledge both ways, both contexts. The one context, he learns everything about me, all the details. He has all knowledge about me, but he learns it from somebody else. Second context, is he knows everything about me, but he learned it from me myself. I told him everything privately and exclusively to Him. Can you see how closeness is not measured in distance, but in privacy and exclusivity? It is obvious how that works. And this is so true for many Christians. The only knowledge they have of God is K-love. I mean, literally, the only knowledge they have of God is some guy on the Internet. Now, I'm on the Internet. And if I'm the only knowledge you get from God, that's not, drawing that's not drawing near to God. That's not being close to God. 
you see. Some people have yet to go to Scriptures, the objective truth of God, and study God Himself, and hear from God Himself, and search after God Himself. I sometimes think, you know, we have, we have created this beast in the West where if, if churches aren't pragmatic in the sense where there's huge, huge entertainment and great lights and fantastic service, you know, being, being treated like gold when you walk through the front doors. I mean, they meet you at your, at the car, at, at, in the parking space and you get back there and your car's washed and your, and your wheels have been polished and, you know, you walk in here and you feel, you feel like Jesus, man, when you walk into a place because they treat you like absolute gold and the service is seven minutes and 45 seconds and it's more TED Talk of 15 minutes. That's it, you know. Give me a TED Talk and make me walk out here feeling great about who I really am instead of allowing me to walk out here going, God, I need you. <laughs> you know, so churches sometimes, we've created this beast where, where um, this environment has become the truth. For so many, where they have never, they never have to search for God themselves. But I see that in the Bible, when Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, to be in that position of pastor, you know, you've got to be known as somebody who can stand up there and actually read the Scriptures to people. And that's how some of the old early churches used to be. Like, hey, everybody, let's gather together. This is going to be awesome. No smoke machines, of course not back in those days, you know. Nothing convenient. It was dangerous. It was dangerous to get into a crowd and meet. You wouldn't be dying from some kind of virus. No, you'd be dying by the hands of, of Caesar. It was dangerous. And they would do it. And guess what it was? This guy standing up there with a scroll reading it. I mean, seriously, for most part, in the modern-day church, if you say, all right, everybody, we're going to read from the book of Numbers, Leviticus. We have 60 chapters to go. Buckle up. You know, like, <laughs> who would even come back? Nobody, right? Because that's not, that's not what church is like anymore. So we've created this thing where it's almost unbearable to have church as the early church had church. But we have to encourage people that your closeness to God is not you getting a 15-minute TED Talk. It's you actually getting into the Word yourself without a band encouraging you, without a pastor studying for nine hours, whatever, to give you a word so you don't have to study a minute. You know, that's not really what, what this is all about. It's about saying, hey, listen, I'm not telling you that you have to go home and get into the Word of God for an hour a day. I'm not telling you that you have to. I'm just telling you, imagine what would happen if you did. Imagine what would happen to you if, in fact, you did seek after God yourself. You see, I can pray, or, you know, I can pray for you. I cannot do your praying for you. I can praise God with you, but I can't do your praising for you. I can worship God with you but I can't do your worshiping for you. 
I can talk to you about the Lord, but I cannot do your searching for you. Nobody can. God designed it this way because He wants that place with you where it is private and it is exclusive because He has called you to draw near to Him that way. So we saw today that closeness to God is not measured in morality. It is measured by your faith in Christ's ability. Closeness to God, number two, is not measured in distance. It's measured in your understanding, your knowledge of God. Closeness to God, number three, is not measured in passion. It's measured in repentance before God. Closeness to God, number four, is not measured in vicinity, but in privacy and in exclusivity. Let's bow our heads. Father, today I thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that we will be challenged today to draw near to you. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. And no one comes to the Father but through me. To follow Jesus is to follow him into a close relationship with the Father. That is following Jesus. He came to lead us to the Father. He became the bridge on which we can cross that gulf created by our sins between us and God. And thank you, Father God, that for every heart here today that says that they need to draw near to God, that this will be their challenge, this will be their call, this will be their mandate, this will be their commission, that they will draw near to you, Father, through repentance, that they will draw near to you through knowing you, that they will draw near to you by consistently putting their faith in who you are, that they will draw near to you in their private time, exclusively just between them and your word. Help us all realize, God, that it is impossible to embrace you without embracing your word. To embrace your word is to embrace you because Jesus is the word made flesh. To submit to your scriptures is to submit to you. There's no other possible way to submit to you. All other ways are subjective. The only way to submit to you is to submit to your word. And the only way to honor you is to honor your scriptures. And Lord, may we not trivialize that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.